This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by the Nuisance Committee. Stay tuned at the end of the show for a special message from the Nuisance Committee about the presidential election. Now, here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. And um, everything's happening, right? Everything happens all at once. Everything happens for a reason. And you are tuning in for this specific episode for a very specific reason. And that is to hear a discussion about independent music, about how it's affected people, about why they live their life like how they do, and, um, you know, all that fun stuff that you come to tune into this show. I always say tune in. I apologize. That you you download this show, you put it in your ear holes or earbuds, or uh, if you're really, really up with the technology, you're, uh, gosh, what are those things called? The Apple ear ear AirPod, AirPods, right? I think that's what it's called. I'll be getting mine soon. I'll be interested to try those out. But um, that's, the, that's neither here nor there. What is here in the moment is Anthony Lucero. He is the vocalist for a band called Cult Leader. He also used to play in a band called Gaza. And um, I just love the band. <laughs> I, I recently saw them. Uh, it was maybe about a couple months ago in uh, Chicago. And uh, it was really, really Good. I mean, I, I liked their records. I thought they were really, really good. Um, but then live, it just kind of all, I don't know, all came together. And I really, uh, really enjoyed that fact. And speaking of something that I really, really enjoy, I want to tell you, I, I know that you've tuned into a, a couple episodes by now, uh, and you've probably heard me speak about this, but this is a, a very urgent thing. I want you to go to Arizona at the end of this month. And in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, more specifically, there's a music festival called Within These Walls. And it's October 29th. It's a incredible, incredible show that, um, uh, you know, basically the, the community of Phoenix is a really vibrant music community. And uh, people are really supportive over the arts in that general area. And... Um, Punk and hardcore has always been an integral part of that city, and uh, that this fest has been going on for maybe, I think, three, four years, but uh, this year they've gone all out. They've got incredible bands. Like, let me just run through the list. American Nightmare, Judge, Antoine, Tony Molina, Repos, Absolute Power, Nomads, Destruction Unit, Seizures, Gate Creeper, Done Dying. I could go on. There's a lot more bands, but you need to attend this. It's October 29th. It's a Saturday. Go out wherever you are. Go out there, make it happen. It's going to be a really, really fun time, and I encourage you to uh, find it on the internet. Go buy a ticket, go support, because uh, this is a really, really special music festival that uh, focuses in on uh, you know cool, heavy stuff, because uh, that's kind of why we're all here, right? So, um, yeah, there's that, and um, I'm still living with my parents. I'm going to be living with my parents for many, many months to come, and um, it you know it offers some benefits, it offers some challenges, but uh, at the same time, it's uh, it's really nice to be with family. You know, like it feels like we're on this like weird uh, sort of sort of vacation, but you know now it's like I'm telling my mom if I'm like you know going to be home later than usual. I feel like I'm like 16 all over again. Um, and not in a bad way, just in a way it's like, Oh yeah, I, I should be nice to the people I'm living with <laughs> and let them know where I'm at. So it's not like, Hey, where's uh, where's Ray? Um, but anyways, Anthony Lucero, like I said, he's the vocalist for cult leader. And, um, I was, uh, I, I, 
I, I just didn't know what to expect. You know, I mean, he, I, I try, I do research, you know, I look at people online before I dig into these questions that I prepare and these discussion points that I'd like to hit. Um, and Anthony, uh, you know, he's not like hiding on the internet. Um, he's done a fair share of interviews. Uh, but it's one of those things where, you know, if I don't feel like I get a good sense of a person by the interviews I read of them, I feel like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big wide gap there for hopefully me to fill. And I think we got there with this. So, um, here's Anthony and I, I encourage you to listen to cult leader more than just these 30 seconds that I'm going to play right here. But, um, yeah, here we go. And I actually, you know, I've been a fan of what you have done musically for quite some time, but I never, I never saw Cult Leader until recently. Like, actually, it was, uh, I don't know, maybe about a month and a half ago in Chicago. You guys were on that uh, Dragged into Sunlight tour. And okay. uh, I, I'm based in Southern California. I was just out there for business. But uh, it was one of those things where um, I already liked what you guys were doing, and I, I was uh, really interested to see how a crowd like that was going to respond to you guys, because clearly, you know, that's not, um, I mean, you guys are aggressive, but you're not in the same ilk <laughs> as what Dragged in the Sunlight is. Um, yeah. But then I noticed, obviously, as you guys kept, you know, playing and, and moving through your songs, it was one of those things where, you know, the crowd obviously, you know, was either more warmed up to you and obviously got where you guys were coming from. Um I presume that's kind of the case for a lot of the shows you play since you kind of fall into that weird spectrum of like, well, you guys can play hardcore shows, but you're too metal for that. And then you're too hardcore for metal shows and all that sort of stuff. So, um, is that fun to kind of push up against that, that convention? Uh, or is it obviously certain nights where it's just kind of a, kind of a grind? <laughs> um, I don't know, man, it goes both ways. Like sometimes, I mean, the, the challenge of it, I guess is, is fun. I don't know to, to it's, to a certain extent but like yeah like you said like when we play with the hardcore bands we're the metal band but when we play with like metal metal bands we're the hardcore band right and so so it kind of like it's a little bit difficult but I mean it's we've never like tried to like cater to one crowd more than the other you know so mm-hmm. it's more like this is what we got and it's as far as like I don't know. It's just, it's going to be, it's, we just want it to be heavy and aggressive. And if it translates or if it speaks to you, then we're not really concerned if it's, you know, like coming across as a hardcore band or as a metal band or, you know, like, right. Just some bastard child of all, all genres. (laughs) No, totally. I mean, and that's, I I think that's why I was really um, kind of taken by you guys even further in regards to, you know, liking what you guys do because, you know, it does take, uh, you know, sort of courage to put yourself in front of people who you're like, man, this is a real roll of the dice. Like, I'm not certain, especially, obviously, you know, in the context of metal, because uh, people are either for you or against you. There's really no gray area in in, in, in that world. Um, I'm just sharing an anecdotal story. I remember my old band, we played a show with Arch Enemy, and I've never been called so many um, you know, uh, uh, homophobic slurs after we're done playing because our band was, you know, technically kind of like a melodic hardcore band. Like we don't belong on the bill, but we got on the bill. So 
that notion of pushing up against people where it's like, okay, maybe, you know, a majority of the crowd hated us, but I'll bet like maybe five people were kind of like, Hey, that isn't so bad, you know? And I, I noticed that was, uh, the same sort of reaction except to a much larger approval rating <laughs> on that dragged into sunlight. Show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that. I, I feel like generally like a lot of metal crowds can be a little more accepting than like the metal bands. You know, like when you're playing with like other, like, I don't know, like the true metal bands who just like, I don't know, they put on their metal costumes and do their, you know, their shit. Like they tend to be a lot more standoffish or, you know, not give as much to us, you know, or they try to pay as much attention. But I feel like a lot of like metal kids are actually like, they're not necessarily so concerned about the style in a lot of cases, they just want something heavy or something that they can relate to. Yeah, that makes so, sense, which, that, is, which is cool because usually like that, that sort of, you know, they just want loud music and you guys obviously supply that in spades. So, you know, they're not as concerned with the, the, you know, del- you know, del- you know delineate delineation of, you know, true metal band or, you know, all those ridiculous, you know, classifications that obviously music journalists need to do in order to appropriately describe it. But they just want that the fact that you guys are loud and aggressive, it's like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I could, it happens in kind of like both worlds too. Like, I think uh, a lot of hardcore kids don't like us because we don't have breakdown, like, you know, like the build up breakdown structure in our songs. And then a lot of metal kids don't, you know, wouldn't give us much mind because we don't have enough like straightforward blast beats. And so, but there's always going to be kids that are like kind of fall in the middle where it, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's heavy or, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's not hardcore metal or whatever like it's always just really nice to be able to just like when it translates to someone they're just like whatever the fuck that was it was heavy and i really dug it like i don't i don't know what to call it but it was cool and it 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 meant something that's really like i i I like that reaction a lot more than just like well i really like to watch the crowd go off when we play breakdown so let's write a breakdown that's completely out of our wheelhouse of doing i mean and we still write like you know parts that are act you know they're in that world but it's not it, it has never been a reason for writing that kind of right riff, you know like we yeah, would yeah. rather just like holy shit this riff sounds awesome when we slow it down so we'll <laughs> slow it down you know no totally that's cool i mean yeah and it comes i mean to me it comes across like that and that's obviously why you guys are a unique band from that perspective uh, where it you know you're at you're at home in both worlds but then you also have uh, that, like I said, that notion where it's like, oh, wow, they are the heaviest band on this bill, or like, oh, they're kind of the slowest band on this bill, <laughs> you know, which is, yeah. like, like I said, it's kind of, it's cool, because I, I especially noticed, too, where it's like, you know, using, you know, a genre that uh, many people often maligned, where it's like, you know, whatever, a, a, a pop punk pop punk band does a headlining tour and they bring out a hardcore band the hardcore band usually does really really well on that tour just because kids are like oh my gosh like this is like even edgier than what i anticipated <laughs> these opening bands to be yeah, yeah. Like, so it's cool yeah it's it's fun to be like have someone open a door for you and then you get to like step in a world where you don't necessarily feel like you would fit in but then when you do your thing it kind of 
I don't know, it translates on in a way that I couldn't really describe. It just that suddenly, like, people are like, yeah, exactly like that. It's just, what the fuck was that? That was cool. Right. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and you, you, you yourself kind of, you know, backing up and focusing on you as a person, um, were you, were you born and raised in Salt Lake city or was, or did you come up somewhere else and obviously migrate there because of your family? Uh, no, yeah, I was born, born in downtown Salt Lake and then raised like in a city called Kearns. It was like 20 minutes West. Uh, okay. Sure. Sure. So yeah, yeah. Born and raised. That's awesome, yeah, because there's, I mean, I, I've had a ton of experience with Salt Lake City, either, you know, playing shows there or, um, you know, having friends' bands there. Do, do you remember that band Clifton? <laughs> this is a random thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I figured as much. Um, so I, I worked with them because I worked at Century Media Records for a long time, signed them, so, you know, I, okay. got, to, I got to know that general area a lot. Um, and it, it was, to me, it was such a unique city because obviously you have this backdrop where everybody knows that it's a, you know, heavily uh, religious is an understatement. Uh, and the entire city, uh, I, I love how easy it is to get around the city in regards to like, oh yeah, 400 West and, um, you know, 200 North, like just meet me there. And you're like, oh, I know exactly how to get there because it's all centered around the temple. <laughs> but the, most people... Uh, and I'm sure you've experienced this, don't realize that obviously because there's this huge undercurrent or not undercurrent, but, uh, you know, huge prevalence of, of religion is the fact that there's a huge subculture there and people that are obviously doing what they can to kind of push against those conventions. Um, when did you kind of notice that, you know, I guess that, that subcurrent that you obviously take a part of now, um, when did you kind of notice that uh, happening in your own life? Uh, I don't know. I think I probably noticed it in junior high when, my older sister is actually the one that got me into like straight edge and hardcore and all that stuff. Like I remember when she was in high school, like all of her friends would come over and it was just a bunch of like straight edge kids wearing, you know, like bloodlet hoodies and I don't know. They, right. you know, just to me, they just looked like they were badass and whatever was going on, I wanted to know about it. Mm-hmm. And so she, she introduced me to a lot of that stuff. So she, you know, like she bought me my first minor threat record and then gave me like the discord anthology. And then that was just like that. That was the moment of being like, well, shit, this is, this is what I have to do now. Right. This is it. And so, yeah, this is it. Like I found it. And so from then on, it was just like, um, those guys, I went to my first show, you know, with all those dudes and then, from then it was just I, I think I wasn't allowed to go to shows until I was like 14 but then started going and it you know you get there and you realize that they're like the whole age range of people you know you got the, the younger dudes but then we're all watching the bands of guys that are all in their 20s or you know older that were playing shows you know and just that that was it you know like i got there got to shows and it felt it was it was dangerous it wasn't just it felt dangerous it you know there was a really violent scene and really sketchy and music was like so pissed off and everything about it just like just like just spoke to me so much that i needed to get deep into it right right i i do find it interesting too that like the you know uh the, the the years that I that I toured the most were the years that it was you know kind of the the most violent like the notoriously violent scenes in America were like all right you got Reno and you got Salt Lake City and it was always so um, mm-hmm. so interesting to see that kind of in action because it was um, 
you know, just, I mean, I just remember the anecdotal time where it was like, you know, playing a show. I, I can't even remember who uh, my band was on tour with, but it was, a uh, you know, after the show, it was like, you know, a bum walking by the show saying something stupid to a kid. And then all of a sudden, like the kid is throwing his bike at the bomb. It's just, you know, stuff where it's like, oh, dude, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see that in other shows. Um, and it's not yeah. specifically saying that it was, uh, you know, this, this could have, couldn't have happened in any other town. Um, but I'm sure... Uh, you know, how did you kind of, you know, wrap your mind around that sort of uh, violence? And I presume, um, I mean, obviously, because you seem like a, uh, you know, relatively well-adjusted human being from the outside looking in, um, you know, did you get like in- involved in any of that in any capacity? Not like obviously trying to, uh, uh, you know, get you in trouble or anything, but um, was that appealing to you in, in, in any capacity? I mean, I think that in the way that it felt, dangerous and like your just constant danger of getting your ass kicked and not knowing why was in a, in a, in a weird way it was appealing but I, I couldn't really put my finger on it you know like you would just go to a show and you would just know that like it felt dangerous and, and but the violence was something that was like I don't know it was something it was just so intense that mm-hmm you would get deep into it. I, I personally, like I maybe in a few, couple fights as a younger dude, but I quickly realized that I'm not very big and I'm really not that pissed off when it comes to like, you know, needing to act out violently or anything like that. So I, I never really got deep into it like the way that other people would, but it would just be like at any moment you could be at a show and two people who were friends would just suddenly start fighting or, Anybody who was there who was unwelcome would definitely be made unwelcome really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was more, I guess it was more intriguing than it was appealing. You know, like it, just being in there and, and experiencing this movement from the inside and knowing that it was truly like a pretty dangerous place and a pretty dangerous time. But the, what was coming out of it was there, you know, there were people making all kinds of cool art and people making zines and the bands were really, really great. And like the bands were speaking to me. And at that point, like the local bands that were doing anything were full on rock stars to me. Like I, I couldn't get enough. I wanted to go to every single show mm-hmm. and it was, I don't know. It was, it was really cool. It was, but it was dangerous. And looking back on it, so much of it was just completely ridiculous and so dumb, but it served the purpose for a lot of people, you know, like as part of the counterculture, you know, like Utah is so conservative and so repressed that I think it was a way for a lot of these kids to explode and, and have their outlet. But a lot of the times it would just ended up being, you know, like they would take it on each other or we were just shutting down venue after venue after venue to the point where like it just ate itself alive and the scene went pretty much silent for a long time. And then it, it's a lot better now, but especially with the hardcore scene, like it, it would, that's, I guess most hardcore scenes can tend to be like that. Like they get a new venue and the shows are really cool for like three shows. And then a giant fight happens and the band gets shut down and you've got to move on. And eventually it got to the point where there was just nowhere else to play. And so things right. went quiet for a long time and every, everyone grew up, you know, but then like there's the new kids that are in there and they're doing their thing. But now it's, I look at it like an old man and I don't quite understand it. And I go to shows only like I, I, at that age, you go to literally every single show that you 
hear about. It doesn't matter what it was. If it was a show, you were going. And now it's an old man, and it's got to be something pretty special for me to actually want to go. Hey, excuse me, pardon me, but I must tell you about something that I really, really enjoy and I think you would enjoy too. So here, I want to buy you some food, right? Okay. Before you do anything else, before you you finish this podcast, I want you to go to sunbasket.com slash words and you can get three meals for free with this company called Sunbasket. And so let's be honest. A huge part of eating healthy is seriously finding the time to do it. You know, taking time to plan the meals, go to the farmer's market, figure out portions. It all adds up. And if you're like me and many other people on this planet, you don't have all that time. You know, you can't leisurely stroll around the farmer's market on a Sunday for like two hours to find exactly what you need. So Sunbasket makes it easy for you. So they deliver healthy and delicious recipes and super fresh ingredients right to your door. You can prepare each meal in just 30 minutes or less. And so it's it's healthy cooking made easy. Like, come on, you'll get organic, non-GMO ingredients from the best farms and fishermen. If you eat fish, like me, I don't, but they got you covered. If you like vegan stuff, if you like vegetarian stuff, if you eat, if you're carnivorous, they got you covered. So everything is seasonal and sustainably sourced. That's a lot of S's right there. <laughs> but Sunbasket, like I said, they offer paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian options, and they're created by an award-winning chef and approved by nutritionists. So each meal comes with a pre-measured and fresh ingredients and super, super easy to follow instructions. And above all, the stuff tastes amazing. My wife and I have gotten this and we really enjoy it. Like we had a chilaquiles. You know what that is? We didn't until we made them and we ate them and we said, holy shit, this is unbelievable. So please, like I said, visit sunbasket.com slash words today and get your first three meals for free. That's sunbasket.com slash words and get three super healthy, easy to prepare meals for free. Please enjoy that. And then now enjoy the rest of the show. Well, I, I think a thread I wanted to pull on what you're describing there too, and something because you know I, I do always feel uh, you obviously have to show two sides of the uh, the story where it's like, yeah, Salt Lake City, like you mentioned, obviously was violent and it was scary, you know, exciting in certain respects. But then you know the positive was the fact that there there were so many bands that came from there that had like nothing to do with one another but you all were kind of a part of obviously the independent music scene you know i mean whatever you know bands like you know iceberg uh you know and then having bands like you know clear and like the kill like all these bands that just kind of uh, I, I was really was taken by that fact that these bands had you know nothing to do with one another um you know either philosophically but then stylistically you know by just sheer uh the fact that there was no venues and the fact that you had you had a limited choice of uh playing out you know bands would play together and stuff and it was just always so uh, it was so intriguing to me because it was this weird you know hodgepodge of stuff coming together i'm sure i I presume that when you started to kind of notice um you know and were able to go to all ages shows on the regular did you notice that diversity as well Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, one of the first shows I went to was, um, it was clear and, like, this really weird hippie, like, I don't even know what to call them. They were kind of heavy, but it was, like, one of the first, like, white guys with dreads kind of playing heavy music, but was reggae-influenced. And then there was a ska band, and then, I can't remember, like, some other random band. But, like, that was one of the first times they just, like, it didn't matter who was playing or, you know, like, who was playing with who. It was just, like, this is 
place where we have shows. These are the bands that we were able to get on the bill because this is who we have in the city. So these guys are all playing. And I remember that show was actually relatively safe, I guess. It was it was just a good show. Like, you know, you went and there were bands that were just like, nope, not for me. But then you get to see shit that I never, I never would have paid attention to otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was cool. And that, uh, getting to see, I don't know, that's really how it, how it's been. I mean, we've always had a, a pretty diverse, even in just like in the heavy music scene itself, like everyone's, our, our city's so small that everyone's kind of intertwined anyways. And so, you know, you would have like the legit hardcore bands playing with like this band Trip Hammer, who I love. They were like one of my favorite bands coming up. Right. Who they I remember, I remember. Drew a lot from, Ah oh, man, I love that band. You know, so yeah, like yeah. they would play with Trip Hammer, and and Clear was also playing, and you know, it was just like it was super cool. You would see like all these bands had very distinct, heavy influences, and they didn't sound like each other, but they were all Salt Lake bands, and so they kind of had like a I don't know how to describe it, like a similar feel, like not a similar sound, but a similar feel to them. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to be able to like just experience all that shit all at once very inspiring yeah i could i could totally understand that because i do think that there is a obviously in the age of the internet the uh you know the whatever not being the old man on the porch sort of scenario but like the thing i miss the most is obviously the kind of um the localized scenes where obviously, you know, you were mostly informed by the bands that you either obviously witnessed live or were friends with and that sort of stuff. So you always had these weird scenes where it's like, you know, you could point to Louisville, Kentucky and be like, oh, yeah, that band sounds like they're from Louisville. And then lo and behold, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they are from Louisville. Um, and then you could kind of do the same with obviously Salt Lake bands where it's like, you know, this is another ra- you, you mentioned Trip Hammer, but like, wasn't that band? Uh, Grimlock was from Salt Lake, right? Uh. Grimlock was not, but the record label that they were on was. Oh, yeah, you're right. They, Gr- Grimlock was from Massachusetts, that's right. But, it, but was that uh, mm-hmm. and th- that other band, Ukula the Mock? Did you remember that band? I do remember those guys. I actually I actually went down the rabbit hole not too long ago, and I was listening to, yeah, all, all the old Life Sentence bands. So it was like going, listening to Ukula the Mock and Grimlock right. and Trip Hammer. And right, just like, right. It was, uh, it was a good walk down memory lane. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's just all flooding back to me now, too. But, um, yeah, I just always liked that when you had this sort of uh, provinciality, even though maybe that, maybe that's not even a word, but you could just tell when certain bands were from a certain area because of their, their sound or, like you said, the you know shared aesthetic that they may have and that sort of stuff I thought was always interesting. Um, so was you know as you obviously started to kind of grow up and uh, you know start to define who you were as a human being, um, did you uh, you know obviously I presume religion played uh, you know some hand in how you were raised. Um, were you did you come from a you know Mormon household, conservative Christian, or any any one of those strains? Um, extremely conservative Christian, actually, okay. and so um, to the point to where my I went to a private Christian school that was in the back of our like uh, Pentecostal church and my mom was the English teacher there and it taught like it taught every grade from first grade to 12th grade and so uh, I started in first grade and went all the way up through uh, halfway through 11th grade and so I was I was deep in it I was, I was very deep in the, the 
mainstream Christian nonsense. <laughs> right. And were you, uh, I presume, obviously, the outside influence was um, minimal, at, to say the least, in regards to, like, obviously, you know, using example of, you know, you bring a record home, obviously, your parents were looking at the uh, the lyrical content, that sort of stuff. Or was that even an option for you to even bring anything home in the first place? Well, actually, that was, it was one of the cool things about my mom is she let me discover, I mean, she didn't freak out when I discovered heavy music. Like, I had an older kid at school who, luckily enough, you know, Christian bands were playing heavy music. And so I actually remember this older kid, he gave me a Vengeance Rising tape. And they were just like old, old super fast thrash, screaming vocals and all that stuff. And so that was like, when I discovered that, that was like, I don't know, it was an excuse to not get yelled at. You know, you know, my mom would be like, what is this? And I'm like, well, but they're a Christian band, you know, and then she could read the lyrics and they were, you know, they were Christian. And, but then it went from there to, you know, then you discover like the tooth and nail bands. So it was just like, you know, unashamed and strong arm and stuff like that. Nice. And so it, it, it gave me, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I just love, I, you know, even though most people obviously they get raised within a subculture like we did, um, you know, look at uh, those sort of bands or that sort of, you know, once Christian hardcore started to become a thing, and obviously a lot of people just, you know, completely cast those bands off, um, there, some of those bands are absolutely incredible, you know? And I, I think you know, people that gave short shrift to them are just like, dude, you're missing out on great records. Like, whether or not you agree with them philosophically, they're good records. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I can I can still go back at any point and listen to Zayo or uh, Training for Utopia. Like those two bands right. were mind blowing to me, mm-hmm. and it was kind of that you know that gave me. Well, I, I guess it gave a little bit more credence to my parents. You know, to be like, look, yes, it's this kind of music, but they're Christian bands and all that. So my mom was like, yeah, okay, I'll leave you alone. You can listen to it. But then you know, but then it went from there into discovering you know like the Discord stuff, and then it was. You know, it took a long time to like unindoctrinate myself. I don't know if that's a term or not, but like, (laughs) sure. You know, because we were seriously, you know, I was seriously steeped in like just very intense religious nonsense. And so, but then, you know, and listening to the Christian heavy music was okay. But then when I started to discover, you know, the outside world of heavy music and the real world of heavy music, and, you know, then it moves from, discord then you suddenly get into slayer and then you're getting into venom and then you know and then it goes from there and then you understand that, like i could get in serious trouble if my mom found a venom record because it's you know a big giant goat pentagram on the covers is not what she's expecting to find when she goes through all my shit so it, it became like i would you know i would listen to i would be able to put all the Christian stuff out, but I had to hide the, you know, the Slayer and Venom and Rattery and all that stuff until I was old enough to be like, no, you like this. I, I, I am all the Christian stuff went away. Like I, you know, there's still records that mean a lot to me, but when I started to understand that I was, only involved in that world because that was what I was raised in and it had nothing to do with what I wanted out of my life then you know all of those other bands and it starts to give you you know you 
reasons to look into a whole bunch of other ways of looking at the world and they all turned out to be way more fun and way more open than anything that I was raised in. Right, right. No, it's, it's, it, yeah, your your uh, your vision was able to open up. You know, you're able to let more in as opposed to oh, I can only look at this corner of the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, it was like oh, there's a whole you know, there's galaxies and galaxies of way more <laughs> awesome shit out there. Right, right. Um, and so then I, I presume, obviously, as you started to you know stretch your boundaries and start to obviously figure yourself out from you know what you personally believed versus what you were raised with, um, you know, was was there large friction within that and your parents? Obviously, because you know that's a that's a growing pain that a lot of parents um, you know <laughs> don't wish to go through, but obviously kids have to do that. So, um, what was your experience like that? I mean, it, it was relatively painless. I mean. Mm-hmm. Once I turned 18, you know, then I made the choice. Like, that was where my parents kind of drew the line. was like, if you're 18 and you don't want to go to church, we're not going to make you. And so the moment I turned 18, I stopped going to church. But then, you know, discovering, like, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and all those guys and listening to all that stuff, I struggled for a long time because, you know, like, I was so attached to all that stuff that I was terrified to call myself an atheist. And so I would say that I was agnostic. And, but then, you know, I realized that like, it's just a half measure and was it not what I was feeling, you know? So when I finally was able to like completely move on from all that shit and realize what I was and what everything, you know, meant to me, then I actually had to have like a sit down with my mom because, you know, she would, she was always talking about all that stuff. I had, you know, like sit her down and like tell her what I believe. And it was difficult because, you know, like, as a parent, she's going to take it personally. Like, I, you know, like, she, like, it was her failings, you know, that I didn't want, that I didn't feel the way that, the way that she did or the way that she wanted me to, you know. So, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, other than that, like, one kind of rough conversation where I made my mom cry. Other than that, like, eventually, like, we can have a conversation about it and we can totally disagree. But it's not ugly. And they, mm-hmm. they never got angry or, you know, tried to do any, you know, like, force enroll anything. You a, enroll you in a camp. Yeah, enroll you in a, uh, you know, we have to save our son. we got to put him in a camp, a, you know, month-long, month, month long, <laughs> you know, Bible camp or whatever. Yep, yep. Which, I, I mean, I went to all the Bible camps when I was a kid. Like, we right. really would. We'd go for, like, m- month-long summer camp trips that were just you know you would go to church every day and then right. but thankfully during the day we'd get to play in the woods right. but yeah I, I mean I, you know, I just the, think I think it's really you know, not pardon to interrupt your thought but I just I think it's uh, oh, you know I, I think it's really interesting because you know you um Ultimately, when you're deciding something on your own, that obviously gives you the power. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't even end up questioning their faith as they get raised in it just because that's the way things are. And this is the, you know, the single path to, you know, what my parents have done and everything like that. So I find the uh, the very act of, like you said, consuming all these, uh, you know, different ideas um, is something that everybody should go through, you know. And I just think it's uh, it, 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 people that don't have the experience of, like, getting raised with some sort of faith-based thing. Um, you know, I feel like are are missing out on, on some important aspect of it. Not to say that everybody has to have that same experience, but um, 
you know, do you get what I'm, I'm trying to get out here of just like the, I think it's important to be able to look inward and realize, Oh, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the only way that you can take yourself seriously is if, if you're raised in one way and that, and that's what you believe it, it kind of means nothing if you don't know anything else about anything else. So if, even if you do believe, but you refuse to research the things that people believe who don't share your beliefs have to think, have to think about things, then what purpose does that serve? It does nothing for you as a person. Like you're just really locking yourself away and, and it, I don't know, like, I don't think you can be a full person if you have a belief and you don't research the opposing belief. You know? It, totally. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, I don't it's know. an important, you, you it's an important growth. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and to be able to, and then to be able to be like, look, I just don't believe any of it. Like, right. it, it doesn't matter. Like, it just, nothing... <laughs> It's not going to make a difference. There's nothing out there pulling the strings. It's just, it is what it is. This is our life. We got to do everything we can to make this the best that we possibly can and not spend this entire life focusing on the next, which is just such a gigantic waste. No, totally. I agree wholeheartedly. The, um, and so then as you, um, you know, did you immediately kind of gravitate towards the idea of, of playing in a band? Was that something that you desired once you started to go to shows and stuff like that? Or was that just basically kind of by, um, you know, osmosis that you ended up in a band? Um, I, I always wanted to be in a band. I didn't know what it would be. You know, like I, I found my dad broken three string guitar when I was like eight. And I remember not understanding how to play a guitar, like not understanding that you need to use the fretboard, but I would just pick notes and try to make them into some type of melody. But then I think before, yeah, even like before I had heard hardcore discovered anything like that, my parents bought me a guitar, like just like a little Fender Squire, like a Squire Strat and started teaching myself like I think the first thing I learned was a cranberry song and um, then just you know but then you get into it and you learn more about music and then you understand what punk is and then you go to your first show and then you're like this, I have to do this this is what I need to do and so you know it was that was it went along with you know like going to my first show and then just like discovering that whole thing it didn't just go like I love this music it was I have to be a part of this and this this is there's no more like passive listener I have to be part of whatever this is like I need to be in there creating all of this right right um well that's cool yeah I, I like that when you when you start to feel the draw you're like you, you obviously can't even verbalize it because you know, you're whatever, 13, 14, 15 years old. And you're just like, I just want to do that. Whatever that is. I just want to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, and then um, yeah, I have no idea how I just need to try. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, and then for all intent and purposes was, uh, was Gaza kind of the first touring band that you were a part of, or was there stuff that you did prior to that, that, um, you know, whatever played regionally. 
And no, that was the first touring that I had ever done. Like I, I had been playing in bands that were playing shows for a lot of years. But then um, when I had the chance to do that, it was literally, joining that band was, I heard the band, I thought it was awesome, and then they suddenly, but I'm a, I've always been a guitarist, like I play guitar, and they, but they needed a bass player, and I was just like, I want to be in that band. And as I was getting in that band, was at, as the first record was coming out, and they had plans to tour, and it was just, and I never thought that I would do any of that stuff. And so the very, like the notion of doing it was like a big driving factor, being like, I have to be in this band, because I have to see if I, if I have the chance to do this, I have to take it, and I want, I want to try it. And so we did it, and I, I, we did like a short tour, and it was really fun. And then I think a few months later, we did a huge six-week tour. And that was just, and once we were in that, it was, it was just, this is everything that I've ever wanted. Like, you know, it. It consumed you. Just that, yeah, it consumed me. Because that, that's what it was. It was like, I am a part of this. I'm not, you know, it, as saying like, the, being passive and just, and listening to things and, and enjoying it wasn't ever going to happen again. Like, this was, at, at that time, being in a touring band became what defined me. Like it was like, this is me. I am in this band. I am on tour. I'm smelly and I'm hungry and I'm poor, but this is everything that I've ever wanted. Right. No, that's amazing. Yeah. When you have that, when you have that feeling of just like, Oh yeah, this is exactly what it was that, well, not even that it, it, it was what I thought it was, but that when you're in it, you're like, Oh yes, I, I recognize this. <laughs> this is, this is indeed what mm-hmm. I want to do. Um, yeah. and so the, did you, um, did you have any other, I guess, plans beyond obviously just pursuing music and doing the band? Cause you know, I, I've noticed obviously you're very artistically inclined as well in regards to, you know, you contributing, whether t-shirt designs for your band and obviously contributing to, uh, uh, the art on uh, cult leaders layouts and all that stuff. Um, you know, was that, was that also kind of something that started to bubble for you, um, around that same time? No, not really around the same time, actually. It was, I had always drawn, like, growing up, going back to, like, where my mom was, uh, the school teacher where I went to school, they, she would spend night after night after night would be super, super late nights, and it was just me and my younger sister that would basically be stuck in the building with her. And so, you know, what I had was drawing, and so I would just do endless drawings. I don't need, you know, like, I don't remember what, like those reams of computer paper that had like the holes in the side where you can pull them out and have like 30 pieces of paper that were all connected. Oh, right. I remember trying to, I would do those in like seven or eight of them long. And I would try to draw like giant sharks or huge scenes or anything like that. And so that was, you know, that's where I discovered that I love to draw, but I never took it seriously until a few years into playing in Gaza I think we were looking at putting out um, He Is Never Coming Back and I wanted, you know, I really liked an artist so I hit him up and asked him, you know, how much his prices were and all this stuff and they were way too high for the band to be able to afford even though, like, looking back on it, like, he, they were very moderately priced but it was just, we can't afford to have a real artist do our shit for us. Right. So then it, it so then it just took where it was just like, well, I like to draw, so I'm going to attempt 
to do this. And I failed. And But I, I, I got saved by one of my close friends who was, is like this brilliant artist. And I was able to like give him my ideas and he finished it for me. And it was, it was really, really cool to be able to, I got to translate everything through him and finish, and it became finished in his style, but it was a style that I loved. So it was, it worked out really well. But then, you know, we still needed shirt designs and we still could barely afford to pay people to design t-shirts for us. So that was where that one started. It was like, all right, well, I'm really going to try it this time. And so I remember doing one shirt and then we put it out and it sold and people really dug it. So then it was just like, well, I want to do more shirts. And that's nice. really like, then it just kept going and going and going. So, and I can, I can, it's one of those things where I look back and every single one of them make me cringe looking back on it, like all those pieces of art. But mm-hmm. I can also track my progression from that very first design to where I'm at now. And that part of it, you know, it feels really good. I can actually visually see my own progression in how the moment I started to take it seriously to where I'm at now is it's a huge, it's a huge difference. And now like I, I am where I'm at with drawing where I was with music when I started music. Like now I have to, I have to draw. I don't, you know what I mean? It, I don't know what I'm going to draw and I don't know how it's going to come out. But now there's that part of me that just like, I found another, outlet and it feels great to be able to feed it and to just keep going and doing more yeah. and the fact that people really dig it, it to the, you know I mean it's not like the, some phenomenon or anything but like people have really dug it and they've asked me to do artwork for them and I think that's a really cool thing right like I've never really I don't I don't to the to yet I mean I probably will have to at some point if I want to take it to another level of doing it, but I don't pursue bands, you know, like I don't go out and like, you know, like try to hit the streets and be like, look, man, let me do art for your band. You know, I've never done that. Everything that I've ever done has been people that approached me. And I like that because I don't have a salesman's bone in my body. So it's nice to just be like, Oh cool. You like my stuff? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll draw something for you. Pardon this break in the action, but uh, I want to tell you about this incredible app called Havenly. So most of us live in a place, apartment, house, wherever that, uh, you know, you want to make your own. You want to feel like it's reflective of you. It's got your own style and aesthetic and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're just like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Like, do you just walk into a store and like point at stuff and then, you know, buy it and then put it up? Like that's, it's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible way to shop. It's a terrible way to, uh, you know, get this design stuff that you have in your head out into the world. And, you know, what are you going to do? Hire an interior designer and spend a lot of money on that? No, that is where Havenly comes in. So what it can do is it can keep your design dreams alive with this app. It's the easiest way to decorate your home. So you can chat with a professional interior designer for free to get answers for your most pressing design questions. Like, um, how how do I do this? How do I make this room functional? How can I make this? Where, you know, where am I going to store my records? That's usually what I ask. So I would be able to ask these questions. And Havenly is an extremely well designed and easy app to use. So please go download the app today at the Apple App Store and use the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S at checkout to get 20% off your design and furniture purchases. So basically, you are using me to help your stuff look cool, right? 
That's that's essentially what I'm trying to do. So please go download Havenly at the Apple App Store and use the code WORDS at checkout to get 20% off your design and furniture purchases. There you go. Download it up. Thank you very much. And now here on with the show. You definitely strike me as a, you know, whatever, an understated person. So I I could totally understand where you wouldn't be uh, that person who's, uh, you know, kind of putting themselves out there, which brings me to a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but I find, um, you know, interesting, just obviously getting to know you here and obviously the way that you portray yourself on stage. Well, not you portray, but the, you know, what you do on stage obviously is a very, um, you know, intense and emotional experience. And obviously um, the, you know, you didn't do that in Gaza obviously um was that an adjustment period for you to be kind of like oh so like this is this is what it means to you know kind of pour yourself out using the voice as my instrument um you know what kind of process did you have to go through in order to kind of arrive to where you're at now um it, it was a pretty massive adjustment like i when we formed cult leader i didn't want to play bass anymore you know because like I said, I'm, I'm a guitarist, but we didn't really need a guitarist. We have all everything we need. You know, we have the structure. I mean, I, I still write a lot of riffs and a, and a lot of parts, and a lot of the stuff that I write makes it into songs. But it gets all translated through Mike because he just he defines the guitar playing of our band, and that's totally fine with me. But I still love to write and do all those things and contribute in that way. So. But, you know, I didn't want to play bass and I didn't really feel like honing in on Mike and like making him deal with me as a guitarist. So the other option was to try vocals. And then like when I was a kid, we I was in bands where I was the vocalist. Um, so I knew that there was some part of me that was capable of it, but I had no idea how far that would go. So I just made the choice. The band didn't they weren't okay with it at first. They, they put me on a pretty long probation period to be able to prove that I could do it. And the, the biggest adjustment was like actually being on stage in front of people and not having anything to hide behind. You know, like when you're on stage and you have an instrument in your hands, you have something to do, but then being just a vocalist, I suddenly realized that, you know, like you're basically naked on stage and you have, just figure out an entirely new way of being on stage in front of people, which was something I was not prepared for and definitely not anything that came naturally. So it, it went well enough to where they didn't, the rest of the guys didn't make me stop doing it. So that was good. Right. But, but, But the progression from when I first started doing it to now is completely different. It feels completely different to do it now than, you know, when when I first started doing it. It was not, it wasn't awkward, but it was just the whole time that I don't know what to do with myself. I feel so exposed and so raw that I just, I don't know. But now it's to the point where we've done it so much and it's, it's, part of me to the, to the point where like I it's just go you know what I mean like it's I don't think about it anymore I don't have to like about the random thoughts of don't run through your head of just being like I don't know what to do with my hands anymore 
Right. It's just, it becomes instinctual. It's just being on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like the muscle memory, the instinct part of it has has totally taken over, and it feels really great. And I'm not like I I don't have I'm not like a preachy guy on stage. You know what I mean? I don't have to get up there and try to prove a point or try to change people's minds or do anything. When I'm up there, that's not part of my process. Like all I want is I have some shit in here that needs to come out and I found and that's another thing like I found another way to release all of this shit and so it's there and so the people will either relate to it or they won't And but it's solely on just a, an emotional vibe or a mood or, or something like that you know I don't have I'm not trying to get up there and you know persuade people to vote the way that I would vote you know I just want to be able to expose this is how I feel about this certain thing if you relate that's fucking awesome if you don't that's all right right I mean, well it's a very i mean it, it, it strikes me i mean obviously it's it, it is a very direct representation of obviously not only yourself but then the band as a whole because there there's nothing well first of all there's nothing obviously subtle about what you guys do but then there's no um there's no artifice about it you know it's like you you guys are what you are and obviously it's like you know i mean from everything from the band name which evokes an emotion in and of itself like i legit like <laughs> i as much as i like you guys i legit cannot wear a cult leader t-shirt i just i can't bring myself in my mind to do that i'm like you know i i I like the band, but I was like, I, you know, I was looking at you guys' shirts when I saw you in Chicago, but I was like, I just can't do it, man. I just can't do it. And obviously that's fine. Like yeah. <laughs> I've made my peace with that. Um, but like I said, it's a, there's a no nonsense approach to it. So it's like by you getting up there, it would, it would honestly probably look kind of weird if you were up there being kind of a, um, not say that you would be like a, a jokey, goofy guy or anything like that. But if you got up there and were, you know, trying to be really, uh, you know, politicized or, you know, tr- like you said, trying to be preachy about something. Cause I think it would be a real, um, you know, indirect opposition to the, what else is going on with the band where it's like everything else is just kind of a buzz song, you know? Yeah. And I totally agree. And I, in its own way, like, I don't know how cheesy it sounds, but like that's when the emotion is all I have to present. And so I, because I'm getting like, I don't, I don't have a message necessarily. All I have is just like, just raw nerves to put out there. And so it, I don't know. It, I can't, I've kind of lost my train of thought, but that, no, that's, that's all okay. I've got, you know? So yeah, right. Because when, you, you, there, there's not, there's not this, the conceit of you getting up there is not to entertain. That's a, uh, unintended um, product of what it is that you do, but it's not like you're getting up there being like, I can't wait to, you know, dance for my peanuts or whatever. Like you're just getting up there and obviously yeah. expressing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just basically, I mean, I feel like my, our band is really good at expressing the way we feel as a whole, you know, like when Casey drums, I don't think I've ever seen, a drummer play as emotionally as he plays. I don't, I don't know if that, trans, that that makes sense, but he he has some some sort of drive inside that when he plays, he plays with literally every fiber of his being, and he hits his drums harder than anyone that I've ever seen. And it, I 
think as a whole, when we play together, everyone kind of has their own personal drive to do what we're doing. And it, it goes far beyond any type of like fronting or doing it to get something. I don't know. It's, it's to get anything out of anyone. It's basically just like, here's a raw presentation of what we collectively have all connected on and what we feel being put out into the world and and people will either connect to it or they won't and to a certain extent that's that's as important to the music as anything else for us like if if all four of us don't agree on the way a riff feels then the riff doesn't get used it doesn't necessarily matter on whether the riff is really good or not but if it doesn't feel like it if it doesn't feel like a cult leader riff, then we're straight up just not going to use it. And it gets relegated to some something else. And so I, it's a really cool thing I think all of us have connected on. And I don't think we could verbalize what that actually is. It's just I think we're all really in sync with each other when it comes to the feeling, like the collective feeling that we need to present. Mm-hmm. And they've none of them have stepped on me about you know what my lyrics are or anything they 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 all want to read them and they all want to know what i'm have to say and what i'm putting out there and but no one has ever gone like dude i don't i'm not into this don't don't write this right and i I try not to write like inflammatory shit everything i write is really personal and i'm not attacking people or do i don't have i just don't have to do any of that shit you know so Mm -hmm. no it's just that's exciting because you, you do, I, I think you're, you know, you're speaking to something that is difficult for a lot of people to, um, you know, verbalize where it's like, it just becomes a vibe. It becomes, you know, an aesthetic, a feel like you're able to put your finger on it. But if someone were to obviously be like, can you describe exactly what that is? You'd be like, well, like it's dark, but it's kind of like, you know, it, it's impossible to, but you know, you know, when you see it, you know, it's like whatever using a bad yeah. analogy, it's like, it's like pornography. You, you know it when you see it. You can be like, oh, yeah, that's not porn. Yeah. Oh, that's porn. That's definitely porn. Yeah. Whereas, like, <laughs> exactly. you, know, you, you, for, you, you guys in Cult Leader, you'd be able to immediately identify whether or not, oh, yeah, yeah that's totally Cult Leader. Oh, no, 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 that's not Cult Leader. Whereas a person, you know, on the outside, they, they could maybe get a majority of it right, but they're not going to completely, uh, you know, get what you guys are getting inside the, uh, the, the mechanism that is your band, you know? Yeah. yeah. You, you could call it sonic sonic pornography. I guess. <laughs> That's dude. I, I see I see the next marketing sticker for your record. <laughs> um two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the uh you know, obviously the the notion uh for creating, you know, dark, brooding, introspective um uh, music is that it needs to be uh mired in some uh misery themselves where it's like, you know, uh whatever from an out- again from an outsider's perspective looking at you, you uh you know, like obviously you're the band seems to be doing well. Um you know, you like li- living in Salt Lake City. There are a lot of things obviously to be happy about. Um but then a lot of people always point to like, oh, well, you know, then art art starts to become soft when a person isn't, you know, whatever i'm using extreme examples but you know living on the streets like you know heroin needle in their arm like that sort of stuff but um how, how have you been able to kind of uh you know reconcile the uh, notion that it's like well i can be happy but then also be able to uh, express these uh, emotions that you know obviously many people would define as dark mm, well i mean for the most part uh that hasn't been the case like the 
I've always I've always suffered pretty heavily from you know some pretty dark feelings and some and depression and things like that and so I think I, I feel like right now I, I do I genuinely feel like um, I'm in the best place in my life that I've actually ever been like I'm the most happy right now that I've ever been and it's and it feels fantastic but the things that I write about are all a hundred percent real and they're all things that I have experienced or felt you know so but it's not some like crushing constant monster it's always comes in you know it comes and goes but it's always just like a, the the sliver in the in the back of your brain there's just something there that I always have to I acknowledge it's there and I've got to deal with but it doesn't rule me so making the choice to not let it rule me was a big turning point in my life. So the thing that I write about, it, it's just exercising demons. You know what I mean? Like you, you get to verbalize these things and people can respond to them in a way that's positive. And I think that's an extremely cathartic thing. And it's, it's something that I enjoy doing, but it's also it can it can really burn you like when we're on tour for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time it's you have to kind of live inside of that anger and that depression to express it to a certain degree sure and so um in that in that matter it gets it gets pretty tiring on tour when like i know that um it's not like I had like an on and off switch, you know, it's just like, well now it's, you know, like stage rage time. It's, right. it's that when I, when, when I'm presenting that shit, it's just time to live in it. You know what I mean? And so when we're doing all those things, it's, it's there and it's real. And it's, it's the time that I can give it a voice and, and deal with it. And when we're done playing, it's, time to let it rest you know what I mean so it I've learned how to give it a voice and how to deal with it sure but it's you know it's always there but it's it's and it's all and it's all come from someplace that was very real but giving you know but I have learned that being happy is a choice and, and like having a good life is a choice and going outside and seeing the sun is a choice because there have been a lot of times where you, you know, you, you don't want to go outside and you can spend three months of your life inside and ignoring everyone and ignoring everything and shit's really bad. But then, you know, that someone will be able to coax me out and I can go outside and see things differently and then I don't know then from there like you just kind of learn over time that like not all the time is someone going to be there to pull you out of your dark hole you got to kind of if you don't do it yourself when no one else is around then you're fucked right so yeah no one will no one will I was do able, it I, I yeah, no one will do it for you. I mean, it's wonderful when people are looking out for you like that, but you can't depend on people like that all the time. 
and it, they they shouldn't have to. And so learning that like it's up to it was up to me to actually make the conscious choice to to try to be happy and to live in a in a more positive way for myself. You know, it's led to only positive things. Like all kinds of shit happens, and every, you know things are terrible and then they're not and when they're not and you can recognize it it leads to all kinds of good things and you meet people who change your life and you meet awesome people and you are more driven to create things and that just it made being able to do that has made everything better you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. finding finding someone who means everything to you understanding that the music you make or the art you make in, in kind of in any direction actually means something to people and they would appreciate it if you kept doing it. That's huge. So absolutely huge thing. And you know, I don't know what the lyrical content of the things that I have to write will be coming up. You know, I don't know how, how I feel or what I need to write about in the future, but I hope it's not crushing depression because I don't want to have to live in it or deal with it. You know what I mean? Like I'd like to be able to write about something else, but I understand that to a certain extent I have to, I have a a way of expressing all of the negative, like negativity in my life. And it's a perfect way of doing it, you know? So I'm not going to suddenly start thinking about like, rainbows and puppies when we're sure. when we're out there doing it like it has to be driven by as far as i'm concerned heavy music can truly only be driven by anger or sadness and so that will always be the driving factor the driving force in our band like emotionally but it's not something that i want to live with or dwell inside of in my daily life like I've actually understand I, I see that things can be so much better and so much nicer when you don't give all that shit the right. voice that it wants at all times totally no I think that I, I, that's a great way to describe it because yeah that, that then you get locked into this you know perpetual motion machine of you know feeling bad for yourself and not being able to help and then you know retreating further in yourself and yeah it's it's like you said being able to you know give voice to both sides is is important um the last thing i want to hit on more so just to uh, for personal curiosity the um you know the fact that you guys obviously played whatever four or five shows with deftones in texas um you know that Mm -hmm. that is a weird experience that doesn't happen to most bands especially of uh you know our nature and our world um yeah, I'm sure, um, you know, I mean, you guys, I mean, Deftones are a great band, uh, but, you know, playing in front of their people, like that's a tall, tall order. Um, you know, how was that experience for you? Um, I'm sure there was obviously fun, po- fun parts of it, and I'm sure there were some uh, challenging parts of it. Um, you know, what was that experience like getting kind of thrust up on a stage where it's like, yo, <laughs> like we don't, we really don't. <laughs> <that back. laughs> yeah, we we really didn't. And it was one of, that was one of the weirdest, most surreal moments ever was like, we, we had heard that Deftones was going to tour and it was one of those things where like, you should just put us in, see what happens, put us in for that tour. And, you know, but and never in a million years did we actually expect that anything would happen. And then we suddenly got the email going like, Hey, so 
Deftones wants to take you guys out. And it was just like, oh, holy fuck. Okay. And then you start realizing what that means, that you're going out with an actual, like, band who the people in the band are actual rock stars. You know, and then it's just like this whole thing. Like, well, I don't know what the fuck this is, and I don't know how this is going to go. I was, when we, before we we got there with those guys, I was just 100% ready to not ever see or speak to any of them personally and get on stage and be like dodging fucking tomatoes and bottles the entire time. But first, like the moment we got there, we ran like directly into those dudes and they were so nice and they were so rad. And then getting up, you know, and they, they made, they accommodated us in every way that they possibly could. And then getting in front of their crowd was terrifying and amazing at the same time. Cause like once we got up there, literally nobody expected to hear what we were about to do when we got on stage. There wasn't, you know, like not a single person was ready to like be like on the receiving end of our band. So it went through like a process every night. You could kind of see there a lot of bands like, I don't know anything about this band. And then we would play and then it would be like the whole entire crowd of holy shit faces. But then at the end, I think people were actually like, wow, they they had something to present. Not necessarily, not that they dug it or they would run out and buy our record or anything. But I think the feeling from the crowd from when we started our set to when we ended it was two very different feelings. And it was overwhelmingly positive. And it was really, really cool. And Yeah. And there was only like one night where I actually did get a bottle thrown at me. And it was, it was just, you know, I was expecting it. And I was like really right in the middle of the song, but I I saw a bottle fly past my face. And then I saw who, the guy who threw the bottle. And he, I made eye contact with him and he immediately handed everything in his hands, all of his Deftones shirts, actually. He handed all of them to his girlfriend started taking off his shirt and working his way up to the front and then he got and so I was just like whoa okay here we fucking go but then he you know they were it's like a giant rock show with actual security guards and all that shit so they stopped him and he didn't come any further but it was just like oh okay but that was the only that was just like out of all the people that came to all those shows that was just the one guy who just was not gonna have it but then you know he didn't try to make his way past the security guard, so he had to <laughs> deal with us for the whole rest of the time. So totally you, worked you, out in our favor. Exactly, you win. <laughs> yeah. well, I just so yeah. I, I I always like I I mean it makes me really happy. Um, basically, throughout the course of you know being involved in independent music, anytime you see bands from our world be able to do something on a level that you know obviously is uncomfortable in certain respects but then is hopefully like you know you guys could be a a perfect gateway band you guys are probably the heaviest thing that a lot of those people have ever heard and who knows like you know out of those whatever thousand to two thousand people you're playing to a night you know maybe five of those people are going to look further into you know whatever whether it was like you know if you were wearing your integrity shirt on stage like people would be like i wonder what integrity is and they'll start to check it out like you never know how those things are going to bounce off people and so it's just always it's always exciting and i just always like to focus on those moments um when uh bands like you know what you guys did was a you know a really cool experience yeah, I, I I totally agree. Like it, I 
there was no way that we would go in expecting the entire audience to just suddenly get on board and we're like the next fucking thing that was never (laughs) even an option never even an option you know like but there were i knew there were going to be people in there and there had been like people have contacted us since then saying like we saw you with depth on show we can't wait to come see you guys play again you know like and so I was like, well, it's going to be way different than a, a Deftone show, but I'm really stoked to have you come out. So it's going to, it'll be really, really cool. But like that, yeah, man, that whole thing was just extremely surreal. And it was challenging, but then getting there and understanding what was going on was really rewarding. And then to, I mean, even the way that we actually did get that tour was when I met Gino, he, he was just like, I really dig your pants. And I was like, come on, man. And I was like, I really like your band. And, that, and then I was like, well, like, can I ask you how we got this tour? And he's like, I just told you, I like your band. Right. And so I, he he <laughs> saw our, our name on that, like, that roster. And he's like, we get all these submissions, and I will tell you 99% of them is just complete garbage. But I saw your band name, and I, I didn't listen to any of your music. What I decided to do was look you guys up on YouTube. And he said, I watched a whole, you know, he just said, I watched a whole bunch of videos of you guys performing live and he's like, and that's what I wanted. So that's why you guys are on the tour. So we, like, he personally just like checked us out and was like, these are the fucking dudes I want on this tour. Totally. And so that, that alone is just like, I don't know how to respond to that because I am, you know, that was another one of those things. Like when Deftones entered my world, I was, I think I was like 16. It was right after Adrenaline had come out and I was like, this fucking rocks. Right. Awesome. Totally. You know, so they've been a part of my musical like vocabulary since I was, you know, an actual kid and now here's what I'm doing now and this guy who I've admired since then is just like I fucking dig your band. That's why I asked you to <laughs> totally. be a part of this. And it's just well, it's mind blowing and it was fucking well, cool. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But I mean, it's cool too because obviously there are certain bands in which like um, you know, not disparaging this band, but I'm just picking a random band out of nowhere where it's like uh Five Finger Death Punch, like you know, using them as an example in contrast to Deftones where it's like, you know, Deftones like they've they've done it, you know. They've they played Warp Tour in like 97 or whatever. And not to say that Five Finger Death Punch haven't played in front of, you know, rooms of 100 people because they definitely have at one point. Um, but it's like, you know, the sort of DIY mentality definitely runs through certain bands where you can see it pretty readily and deftones are you know a complete example of that where they're just like well we just happen to get get really popular um like that's not our fault but we still do you know our shit the way that we want to and that that totally bleeds through you know yeah it really does i mean and the the fact that they i think the well the very first time i actually saw them play was in an empty roller skating rink with quicksand and snap case and so such, like, a good, such a good from then I, yep. yeah and so then I understood it was just like these guys have known what's up since they started you know like they've done all this crazy shit and they've reached this crazy level but they they came from the same place as the rest of us and they but they also didn't turn their back on any of it they didn't ignore it like I know that you know like Willhaven and Poison the Well and like all those guys they've consistently taken heavy bands out with them that you wouldn't expect yep. and so it's it's a, it's a just I don't know man it's a crazy thing like if Five Finger Death Punch asked us to go on board you know it, we would tell them to fuck off but 
Totally. It's just, it's such a different thing to have someone where at least I knew that they came from the same place, even if they weren't there now. They, I know that that's where they came from, and they asked us, it would, that would be awesome. But it turns out that they are still just the same kind of dudes. They've never, they're not like ego rock star maniacs. They're just fucking really cool people. Yeah, so. real, real human beings. Yeah. Well, I, I really, uh, thank you so much for hanging out, Anthony. I really, really appreciate this. This has been uh, fun and wide-ranging, so I, uh, I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man, thank you. It's been really cool. So there was Anthony, and uh, what a great convo, right? Not because I did a good job, but uh, yeah, he uh, he shared a lot about himself, and I really uh, I love that experience of them touring with the Deftones, you know, because like you know, clearly Cult Leader is a extremely heavy band, and then playing in you know arenas of ten thousand people is uh, I just, it's a sight to be seen, you know. I love the sort of head scratching moments that people have with a band like that, and then they kind of grapple with it, and then you know maybe eventually a, a good portion of the crowd is like. Yo, I get where they're coming from. Like, this is this is heavy. This is loud. I like it. So, anyways, thank you very much, Anthony. And thank you again for our PR best friend, Stephanie Marlowe. Um, you know, dive back. You can actually listen to an interview with her. <laughs> so, anyways, I always give her shouts out because, uh, you know, she's the best. So, yes, and the music, as always, is by Lowercase Noises. You can visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. And uh, you can also email the show at 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Next week guest is a absolute huge one in the sense of I've been circling around him quite some time and we finally landed on a time to speak. And that's uh, Chris Connolly from Saves the Day and Two Tongues. I can't even tell you how cool this conversation is, so I'm not going to. But you got to stick around and hear this PSA by the Nuisance Committee because uh, I think it's incredibly important. So here we go. Donald Trump says he alone can solve America's problems. At his rallies, he whips his supporters into a violent frenzy and says that people who have criticized him will suffer when he's president. Trump blacklists members of the media that write negative stories about him and says that when he's president, he'll restrict the rights of the free press. He openly calls for the U.S. to commit war crimes and says that we should torture and kill the innocent children of suspected terrorists. Regarding waterboarding, he said, even if it doesn't work, they probably deserved it anyway. A veteran told Trump that American soldiers wouldn't follow that order, and Trump said, they're not going to refuse me. If I say do it, They're going to do it. Dictators around the world love Trump. He is praised by Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un's state-run media. Back in 1990, Trump's wife told her lawyer that he keeps a copy of Hitler's speeches by his bedside. Trump surrounds himself with yes-men, sycophants, and fools. There's nobody in Trump's inner circle that will tell him no or correct him on the facts. Now Donald Trump gets classified national security briefings and he has repeatedly asked why the U.S. can't use its nuclear weapons. As Americans, it is our duty to resist fascist dictators wherever they rise up in the world. This November, we are not going to elect one here. The Nuisance Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising.
You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.